Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, and no Gavin today, but I do have a special guest host. I have Stacy Patton of the Strickland. You might know him on Twitter as at Stacy Patton eighty nine, and we are going to be talking about the two fantastic Knicks wins over the weekend, spurred by fantastic RJ Barrett play, clutch stuff down the stretch from RJ. In addition to some polarizing play from Alec Burks, some great stuff from Julius Randle, a almost blown lead and an actual blown lead and all kinds of great stuff. Uh, So we will be talking about all that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. I am Alex Wolf, one of your usual co-hosts. Uh, I am the editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And you'll occasionally find some lovely writing from my guest co-host today, Stacy Patton. You might know him as at StacyPatton89 on Twitter. Stacy, what's good, man? How are you feeling after a really fun weekend of Nick's wins? Uh, well, um, definitely took a couple years off my life. So, um, I think win or loss, they all kind of do at this point. So at least if we're going to be losing, you know, years off our lives, we're, we're at least doing it in wins at this point. Right. Yeah. I think it was, it was, uh, Rob Perez. He had a tweet that like the last 10 or 15 games have all been decided by six points or less or something like that. Yeah. And that's, um, (laughs) yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite a toll. I think the losses were more of a toll. Um, they're definitely more, you get that relief when you win, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, if not for RJ Barrett, we might've been dealing with some of that loss, uh, what fatigue, uh, loss trauma, whatever you want to call it. That comes from these close losses when the Knicks, uh, you know, wind up blowing it. And we had two straight games here where the Knicks realistically could have lost the game if not for. R.J. Barrett coming in super clutch in both of them uh, in the game against the Grizzlies on Friday night scores 15 points in the fourth quarter in overtime propels the Knicks to victory there. Alec Burks, who, who you specifically said you want to talk about in, on this episode, who we'll get to in a bit, uh, also had a great game and the Knicks wind up coming back from uh, I think it was 13 points down was the biggest deficit to the Grizzlies to ultimately force overtime and then beat them by a score of 133 to 129. And then tonight, uh, they faced the Raptors, and it looked like they were going to cruise at one point. They were up by as much as 18 points on the Raptors. And predictably, like they have a lot of times recently, 
blew it in the third quarter and let the Raptors get within two going into the fourth. And then the Raptors came all the way back and took what was at one point a seven-point lead, but then a Malachi Flynn three was retracted upon review, which normally they do at the end of quarters. So like it seemed to confuse people that they just kind of like did it in the middle of the fourth quarter. But like obviously you can't let the game go final and then go, oh, wait, by the way, (laughs) minus three points. Like you have to do those ones more instantaneous than one that happens in like the first quarter, you know, with eight minutes to go in the first quarter or whatever. They'll sometimes, you know, uh, just take those points away at the end of the quarter uh, because it's just less consequential at that point uh, and you can afford to wait. But at any rate, that happens. Then RJ Barrett hits a clutch three down the stretch to put the Knicks up by four at that time. And then Julius Randle hits four straight free throws to put the Knicks up by six in the end. And that was all she wrote for this game. But Stacey, what was your takeaway from like the, the RJ Barrett experience these last two games? I just, I, I think it's so cool that he, he took that heat from Anthony Edwards on live television of Anthony Edwards saying, oh yeah, that's who we want to take in the last shot as far as R.J. Barrett after that Timberwolves game when he took the shot, it rimmed out, the Knicks lost by one point. And now he's come up big in two straight games, just like a week and change after that Timberwolves game. It's it's very cool seeing him like grow up in real time in front of our eyes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of a direct effect. Like He said he was unbothered by it, and I actually really believe that about R.J. Barrett. Um, I mean, he, he's been fantastic, right? Um, he is... You know, even as he's been figuring out, like young players are always going to make mental mistakes. Um, but he's, you know, he has just he's been figuring it out really well. Um, and I think that the, so you can you can tell young players have some some players have good feel, even when they're making mistakes. I think quickly fits in that bucket too. Um, but I mean, the thing is like with RJ Barrett, I've never, like when he was drafted, I thought he was the right pick at three, but like, I wasn't thinking of him as like a multiple all-star type ceiling, but I, I never had a doubt that he would be a good pro, right? Like he is the kind of guy that's going to contribute and add value to a team. He's always had that mindset, right? I mean, people have made a lot about it, but Steve Nash was his, was godfather, right? His dad did play professionally. Um, from throughout high school, he was groomed playing on the Canada national team, being the number one recruit in a class with Zion Williamson, with Cam Reddish, and in that very ballyhooed class. Uh, so he's been dealing with that his whole life. And he's always like, that's the one thing you could always count on with RJ was like, and, and he had some like Andrew Wiggins comparisons because of his style of play, right? He's ISO heavy, he's a big wing, but like he's not blown by guys. He relies on a lot of inefficient shots. We always knew like the the things that have really, you know, fair or not, the criticisms that people have had of Andrew Riggins of, you know, lack of engagement or, um, you know, lack of maybe feel. You could always tell that like RJ has always been a pro. So the fact that he's nailing these kinds of things, the shooting has been a revelation. But the fact that he has the mindset and like, you know, the stones or the cojones or the onions or whatever you want to call them to to come out and make those shots. um, That's never been a worry for me. Um, And uh it's crazy to see it happening this quickly, this fast at age 20. But, um, you know, it's um, if if you read about this kid and if you just see the kind of person he was, even if he ends up as the number three or number four, like even if that was your take that he's never going to be quite good enough, a shooter, quite good enough of a shot creator to be like the number two guy or number three guy, even on a team. 
you always knew he was going to be able to contribute at a high level um, just because of that makeup. And, and that matters, right? That's stuff that you don't always see or emphasize in, in some of these draft breakdowns, but it absolutely matters. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's something that I think people overlook too, is the fact that he was, you know, it became easy to forget once Zion started playing as well as he did and John Morant, you know, kind of separating themselves as the top two players in the that draft class. But RJ spent like, I don't know, eight years of his life, like as the top player in his class, all the way up to the time that, you know, he started at Duke and yeah, like and Zion. The word generational was used a lot with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do think that he sort of fell prey to the fact that like he was one of those guys that that uh, developed physically early. It seems like where, you know, he looked like a grown ass man playing amongst kids for a while because he just happened to to blossom, you know, uh, earlier than a lot of the guys uh, that he was playing with, you know, as a kid and in high school and stuff. But, you know, it, the positives of that we see paying off all the time now. I mean, his he knows his body. He knows how to work to get to his spots. He knows how to um, get his shot off with plenty of space. He knows how to do all these things. And, you know, the, it, again, the to your point, the whole like, the stones part of it all, the, the cojones, the, uh, you know, the onions, whatever is all just because, you know, he's, he's used to this, you know, he was kind of like born and bred for this in a way, like with having a dad who was a professional basketball player being the top recruit for so long. I mean, he's, he's been pretty much ready for this his whole life. Um, so yeah, I, I'm like not too surprised to see that he's comfortable in these situations either. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in a sec and also talk about Alec Burks and maybe Julius Randall and all kinds of other good stuff about these two really thrilling for better or worse wins that the Knicks had. Uh, but first I just wanted to let everybody know that today's episode is brought to you by indeed. And let's say you're hiring, you're the hiring expert for your company. And what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications. And schedule and complete video interviews on your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. And with tools like Indeed Instant Match... They give you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately and Indeed skills test that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You could choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. And if you're hiring, you need Indeed. That's a very Clyde-esque rhyme right there. So get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Again, Indeed.com slash locked. This offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. And today's episode is also brought to you by Built Bar, which is, of course, the best tasting protein bar ever and 
you know, I don't know if I've gushed enough about Built Bars yet, but they have some fantastic flavors. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. For example, cookies and cream, you would think you're eating like something made by Hershey's, man. It's it's such a fantastic bar. Little chewy. It's got that cookies and cream flavor coated in 100% chocolate. Also, coconut almond will remind you of an almond joy. Just a fantastic flavor there. Toffee almond, if you like that more like toffee flavor with some nuts. I'm a huge fan of the the bars with the nuts in them too. Just so tasty. Gives it that real like Snickers bar kind of feel. And every single Bilt Bar is covered in 100% natural chocolate. And they're soft and easy to chew. So you get that candy bar feeling without that candy bar guilt. And the best part is they are low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. For example, that coconut almond bar will give you 18 grams of protein, just 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. You're not going to find a better ratio on any other protein bar, especially with how great Built Bars taste. So if you're interested in picking some up for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Calm. All right. And that's that's it for the ad break. But I just got to remind you guys, too, we're giving you all the Knicks news you need today. But you can get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Again, that's the Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. And you can listen to all your favorite Locked On podcasts there. Uh, so, Stacy, we're back. That, that's it. Ad break over. Um, do you want to talk more about RJ or do you want to – you had mentioned to me before we started recording that you want to talk about Alec Burks and sort of the duality of him on this team. Yeah, we, we can talk about – with RJ, I'd, I'd, I'd add also um, – I mean, I, I would, I'd put this to you too, right? But – Going into this season, yeah, I kind of hinted at this, but I did think that his ceiling was kind of like a number three on a good team. Um, and, I mean, the shooting is the big thing, right? The 38% from three. Yeah, you can say it's from the corners. It's catch and shoot. You know, I think Basketball Index had this thing where the shot quality is easier, right? Um, but he's hitting them, and he's hitting them at a high level, and he looks very comfortable, and the free throws are backing it up, and he's finishing at a high level. I guess I would ask you how much has your, um, you know, if you're evaluating, because I've asked you about quickly ceiling, and I know you're you're very bullish on that. How has your kind of outlook on on RJ long term changed, um, you know, given how he's progressed this season? That's a good question. If people would go back, we did. Gavin references this episode a lot, but we did an episode with with Nate Duncan who's also, you know, part of the Locked On Network. And, and we had him He on. likes Anthony Edwards, too. Yeah. <laughs> and we we had him on uh, to talk about RJ before the season. And I can remember Gavin having a pretty similar um, view to what you just said about him, where he was like, I don't know if he could be better than, like, a number three on a really, really good team, whatever. Uh, Nate was, like, really down on him. It seemed like like he just seemed to have no faith in RJ whatsoever to to get it together and become a potential star. And I was sitting there banging my drum about like, I don't and look, this is I, I'm definitely more of an optimist than most people. So my I think my takes are generally pretty 
like on that end of the spectrum and when they don't work out you know it it's fine you know because it's just like oh it's just being optimistic when they do work out it makes me look probably smarter than i am but i i was like i think i could see him having a ceiling and and again we were talking about ceiling so this is like if everything goes right what is the best outcome and i was banging the drum of like he could be jimmy butler if everything works out right like i think that he's got the defensive prowess he's got similar physical abilities maybe not quite as much pop but like just as much guile as Jimmy Butler as far as getting inside, getting his shots, whatever, uh, finishing through contact, that sort of thing. And, you know, after last year, the big thing was finishing through contact, right? That was like the the operative word, but generating contact, he was doing plenty of last year. Um, it was just the issue was he wasn't getting a lot of and ones and he wasn't making his free throws. And then the three-point shooting, I was like, you know, there, there were stretches last year where he had hot stretches that were very similar to what he's had ever since that 0-21 stretch at the start of this year, where, I mean, now RJ for over two months has been shooting like 44% from three or whatever the hell it is. Um, Back, like, last year, there was one or two stretches like that where he did that for like 15-ish, 20-ish, whatever games. He would shoot really well from three, but then he would go mega ice cold again. But I was encouraged by that, and I was like, I think he could shoot better than Jimmy Butler, like by the time all said and done in his career. Now, I think this year we've seen some things that are starting to like emerge that I don't necessarily know that I expected to come out this soon. Like we've seen a few pull up three pointers in recent weeks that he's pulled off, which is a huge step for him. Yeah. Um, And he had one step back last year. Yeah, exactly. The rest of the times he took pull ups, they were awful. Exactly. He's been hitting them, you know, Somewhat regularly. And his mid-range game is getting way better this year, too. Like, that's almost automatic at this point. Like, when he does that little, like, just kind of... When he gets uh, space on that little pull-up and they go under the screen and drop. And, like, when he has space on that, he doesn't miss those. And that's how, like, Brandon Ingram, before he became a good three-point shooter, those were the signs, right? He had good touch on those, the free-throw shooter. And I think he was good from the corners, so... Yeah. So, I mean, that's all stuff that's been encouraging to me. I I would say that I'm still at the same general area. Like, I think that he could still be a Jimmy Butler-esque star, which, you know, in, in terms of, like, Butler, I think we've seen. I mean, obviously, the Heat made the, the finals run last year. You know, I don't know necessarily, though, that a Jimmy Butler-type star, unless the stars align absolutely perfectly as far as team construction can be like the number one guy on a title team. So I don't necessarily know that RJ is ever going to be that, but But I think that's number two, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think he could be like one of the best number two stars in the league. Um, And and I actually think that there is a chance. I mean, I don't know how great of a chance it is, but that both RJ and Randall could be on like the, the fabled next great Knicks team, you know, that, that actually contends for something. But that like star X that isn't here yet could be number one. And I think there is a chance that at some point RJ could surpass Randall. And it might be like splitting hairs as far as like, oh, who's who's number two and who's number three between those two. And maybe it would vary night to night. But I could see a world where RJ becomes this consistent like 22 to 25 point per game scorer that's hitting efficiently from pretty much everywhere on the floor and plays good defense and does spot distributing. I mean, I think. 
the ceiling is really high for him. But where are you at with that? Because you brought it up, obviously, that you were you were a little lower on him to start the season. Yeah, and I mean, I I thought number three, like for me, I was like, yeah, he's definitely someone who can be a piece if we get other stars. But what I would have said before this season is if I can move him for Bradley Bill, I would have done it. Um, I would have been on the fence about moving him for Zach Levine. And to that point, Zach Levine has also been better than I thought he would be this year. Um, and this point, I'm I'm not in that bucket right now. Um, because I think and, – and I think part of it would have been, well, if they get another ball-dominant guard, can he play next to him? With the shooting, now I'm less concerned about that. And in terms of a ceiling, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Julius is also only 26, right? And this is his first season. Last season was his first season being the guy. This is his first season thriving as the guy on a good team. So you're going to see continued development there. And I think they're going to have, you know, separate skill sets, right? I think they could be a little bit like like Drew and... Like, who is the Bucks number two? Is it Drew Holiday or is it Chris Middleton? I think most people would say Chris Middleton. But there are going to be nights where it doesn't look like that, right? Um, so I, I would say I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. Um, I think that what I would – and again, for someone like who's 20, it's it, the difference between last year and this year is that last year there were gaps in his game. You're like, man, he really needs to get that in order to be a, just a good NBA player. And now the things I look at him, I'm like, all right, he's very good at almost everything what are the things that can make him special, right? So I think he's a very good defender. Um, I think, you know, on our Slack, I've, I've definitely um, debated with people whether he's truly elite. I don't see that yet. Um, I think what elite defenders do is they will actually manipulate offensive players and generate more events. But I think RJ is still at this point is more of a guy who does his job. But again, 20 years old. Um, so, But once he gets that, that would be interesting to see, right? That, that's what guys like Jimmy Butler do on defense. And um, just the pull-up shooting, and and again, like even if, but if this remains his offensive game, right, um, going forward, like that's still a very good player. Um, it's just like there's a few things now he can do to to really be special, and that's a big leap from last year when there were things he needed to do, to, like to just be a good NBA player. Um, so yeah, I, I'll give you credit on that. Then if you were, you know, if you were the optimist from the beginning of the year. Yeah, I might have to go back and listen to it just to make sure I was quite as bullish as I thought I was, but I'm fairly certain I was <laughs> I mean, I was definitely fighting the good fight versus Nate Duncan on our podcast about like why I thought RJ Barrett could be a potential star in the making. At any rate, if you wanna maybe place a bet on RJ Barrett for most improved player, of course he's gonna have to face some pretty stiff competition from his own teammate Julius Randle. For this, but there are some great bets to be had on betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, NHL, and MLB are all in full swing now, and lots of great bets to be had. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. I'll leave that to Gavin. He always has that one reality TV show he says he wants to bet on. I don't really watch too much, so I, I don't have too much to add there. But Bet Online for everything has real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It is the best way to place your bets, and it is free to sign up on Bet Online. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. If you use promo code LOCKEDON, 
Again, go to betonline.ag and use promo code Locked On. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we're back to our third and final segment of Locked On Knicks. But if you want to, granted, the Knicks just won two games in a row. So I'm sure that we're all riding high, not really thinking too much about the draft right now. But don't forget, the Knicks do have two draft picks in the first round this year and one very early second rounder. So regardless of how things go for the Knicks and Mavs, it's going to be a very interesting and active draft season for the Knicks. That's why you should get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness. Hey, this is old copy. March Madness is over. Anyway, we have credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. All right. Stacy, we've we've teased the people long enough. I've been waiting for this. You said you want to talk about Alec Burks, and I'm I'm very intrigued to hear about this because he was like low key kind of the hero or like the co-hero of the Memphis game. Like really, really brought the Knicks back into it, had some timely shot making, made a huge layup in the overtime that put the Knicks up by multiple possessions, and was one of like the difference making plays of the Knicks eventually getting that win. And then uh in the the game against the Raptors very nearly shot slash turned the Knicks over uh, out of this game because like down the stretch, he was just missing, missing, missing. He made like one good three at one point, but then missed a couple more shots. They went to point Burks for some reason. And then like the Knicks were only up two with uh, how many seconds was it? Like 24, 25 seconds, something like that. Maybe slightly less because like the Bur- shot clock running down. So yeah, yeah, shot clock was running down, and Burks. It, first off, Randall gets the inbound and then gives it to Burks, and it's like, all right, do it. And then Burks just like dribbles the clock out, and I don't know what he was trying to do, but then tries to force like the worst pass of all time, and it gets picked off by Siakam. Siakam starts going down on like I, it's really weird because it was so similar to a play that happened like to the ball. Knicks. <laughs> yeah, to the Knicks earlier in the game, Reggie Bullock had a similar situation where the Knicks had a three-on-one break and he double dribbled while he was overthinking what to do on his way to the hoop in a three-on-one fast break. Siakam, in like the biggest moment of the game for the Raptors, does the exact same thing. Uh, double dribbles, or I guess they call it a travel with him. Same same difference at that point. Uh, going towards the hoop on a three-on-one fast break and gives the ball back to the Knicks. And then... Uh, you know, luckily Alec Burks was was bailed out in that situation because otherwise, had the Raptors made that and then eventually won the game, he would have caught a lot. Of, our tone would be very different on this podcast. Let's put it that way. Luckily, he got bailed out though. But what's your what's your Alec Burks takeaway from these these two games here and like the duality of Alec Burks? Yeah, I mean, the Alec Burks experience is me alternating between like, please put in someone else. And holy shit, give this guy four years, $60 million, right? Um, Because he's, I mean, I I think um, I've brought this up on previous pods and it always comes to mind, but NYK Terry and Trey on Twitter had this tweet uh, where he was like, you know, Alec Burks is like a superstar that stopped loading at 73%, right? So he just has this, he has, he can, like, there's so many times where he'll make an amazing move to like just slickly glide by a guy to the hoop. 
and it'll blow the layup, right? He'll like set himself up for a nice shot and then it'll just be flat. Um, he'll have like a block on defense and then he'll just like fall asleep. Um, and I think, I think a lot of that has been um, just adjusting probably to new teammates, right? If you look at the players in the second year with the Knicks with maybe one notable exception, uh, you know, Randall has been a lot better in his second year, obviously. But Bullock has, has looked a lot more comfortable too, right? He had the injury last year, but he's kind of in his role, right? Um, Taj has looked even better this year, right? So I think I think that matters. And Burks has been a journeyman, right? So that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it's just, it's very interesting because they have now, they have gone to him more and more late in games. I think part of that is because I think Tibbs is realizing, like all of us are, that, you know, just forcing it to Julius is taking a toll on him. And, uh, you know, we're not, effective in that way um you know rj has been very clutch but um not necessarily always the what you want to just be so so it's kind of defaulted to we have this journeyman guy we signed for five million or six million dollars a year who's running our offense late in games as the point guard now right because um it does look like you know tibbs is having a difficult time trusting alfred payton rose i think you know his conditioning may not be all the way back after COVID and, you know, we can complain about it, but unless quickly has it going from three, it doesn't seem like Tibbs trusts him as a rule. Um, and that, that's where, and like, yeah, I mean, it's tough not to get J.R. Smith vibes from Burks, right? I mean, he seems to be more, you know, it's not, um, J.R. Smith had all the antics and the memes. Burks isn't quite like that. Uh, I know, I know very little about Burks off the court or anything like that. But it is it is a lot, just a very mercurial player. Um, ultimately, I still think a plus, especially on a team that is very low on shot creation. Um, and to his credit, I mean, he was like he had some. I mean, he had the three, but he also had a beautiful pass to Randall. He had a nice bounce pass uh, on a backdoor cut that Randall made, which also to Randall's credit, that's not a play he was making last year, moving without the ball. Um, so. Yeah, like that's that's what fascinates me about is yeah, like he, he we run our offense through him. He's a journeyman. He comes off the bench, um, and he's just it's just good Burks or bad Burks, right? It's it's very little in between. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are there, but uh, he's been a big part of these last two games. Um, you know, Burks give it, then Burks take it away. Yeah, I've been saying the J.R. Smith thing for a while now. Like he's like a less bouncy. I would say less boneheaded J.R. Smith. Like he doesn't, because we forget, but like J.R. Smith didn't just have the off the court antics. He had the on the court stuff too, that made you really be like, J.R., what in the hell are you doing? Like the most famous one, obviously in the public eye of the last few years was the, yeah, the LeBron one, the LeBron meme of him going like, what were you doing? (laughs) That that wasn't even his worst. Have you seen the one where um, he was getting back on defense? I think they were playing the Bucks. And Jason Terry, the same Jason Jason Terry mm-hmm. who, so that one year when we made the playoffs, right? Remember, uh, Jr. was on fire the second half of the season, and then he got he got suspended for or ejected for elbowing Jason Terry, and then the rest of the playoffs he was he's awful, right? But against the Bucks, like he's getting back on defense, and he goes to dap up Jason Terry on the bench while the play is still going on, so like Tony Snell is wide open. If you haven't seen this clip, you should look it up. But like Tony smells wide open, gets a dunk, and then Jr. like turns around. No one and like Kyrie is like Kyrie was on his team, and like Kyrie's like, whose man was that? And then they run the replay, and even the announcers didn't know what happened. 
And then as they see, they start chuckling and they're like, yeah, so Snell's just open. <laughs> yeah. Um, that yeah. was actually the, but he had, he had, those kind of things were, were the regular, the norm for, for JR. Yeah. And even with the Knicks, the, the shoe untying thing where he kept <laughs> untying guys shoes at the, you know, in the, the free throw box, you know, like just ridiculous stuff. Um, so at any rate, yeah, I mean, I, Burks will never do that. I think he's a consummate pro in that regard, but he is, yeah, he's just, he, he'll be so good and then just make such a boneheaded play. And it's, I kind of think that the, the mistake is letting him freelance too much. Um, I think that in situations like tonight, like the play that I, you know, I referenced where it's like the end of the game, key moment, you know, Nick's only up two, need a bucket to just basically ice this game. And, you know, you have RJ Barrett who just made a clutch three moments prior. You have Julius Randle, who's been doing really good at, at, you know, breaking down defense and finding guys just found RJ for that three. And then you're playing, and apparently this is how it was drawn up, is, you know, inbound it to Julius and then give it to Alec Burks and let him just dribble away and like 10 seconds. Right? So. Yeah, and you know he's not going to pass it until it's the inopportune time to pass it because the whole game he was just, it was just, Alec Burks wanted to get Alec Burks shot, you know, and that was pretty much it. Well, I mean, and, one- and I wouldn't, I think sometimes we, we ascribe it to selfishness or something. I just think he, he's not, he's not a capable playmate. Like he, I don't think he wants to get his or anything right more than anyone else, but he's just, he doesn't have like, he's either going to try to score or he's going to try to patch, but it's like, he can't really balance both those things. Right. So, yeah, I'm with you there because he actually, I mean, he even had a really nice pass in this game and find Julius for a dunk. Um, I just think that his his play recognition from a playmaking standpoint is not great. So that really doesn't translate well to late game situations when the other team is like super keyed in. You know, that's like the time when you need like your best playmaker with the ball in their hands. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of I, I feel you like it, it. It was just very it was an interesting weekend as far as Burks was concerned. And would you, uh, would you resign him, though? I would, but I don't know that I would give him more than like a year. Uh, you know, I'm, I just, I would go year to year with him. Um, and I also wouldn't be against the idea of potentially moving him at the deadline next year if it felt right, you know, and if the right deal came along. Um, just cause I, I like him. I, he seems like his teammates like him well enough and stuff like that. But I, and I, I won't say that what he does grows on trees, you know, because it doesn't. But I also think that you could reasonably, I mean, with what his role has been lately and with the amount of minutes he gets and stuff, I think you could pretty easily insert year two quickly into that role if you really wanted to. Like if you get a different point guard, let's say you get a um, Sharif Cooper or something or or whatever in the draft and you don't bring back Alfred Payton, but you have someone that you feel good about like to start with Randall and RJ and help get them looks and whatever and still bring IQ off the bench. I think you could pretty reasonably be like, okay, well, IQ is going to be our 30 minutes off the bench guy that's going to get us tons of points and, you know, some playmaking and stuff like that. And he'll do it better than Burks does. And, you know, for way less money. And you could just spend that. I mean, I shouldn't say way less. It's not like Burks is getting paid a mint, but you wouldn't have to give him a long term contract in that case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's still in, in the case that you described. I probably still would want 
Um, like in the case you described, I think Derek Rose ends up starting, assuming we bring him back. That's true. I wasn't even thinking about Rose too. Yeah. So, but it would be something like Rose, RJ Bullock, you know, what, what everyone wants the starting lineup to be this year. Uh, and then the bench would be something like Sharif IQ and, and yeah, then Burke. So it's a small lineup. Burke's probably shouldn't play the three. Um, but I, I still think he has a fit there because, um, the thing is like everyone wants these shooting wings, right? Um, but Evan Fournier, yeah, it only costs two second round picks, but he's going to get $15 million. We live in a world where Luke Kennard just got $64 million for four years. If you can bring back Burks for eight, or I mean, if it's two for 15, I would do that, right? Or two for 16. Um, it's not like teams have cap space, right? Um, and I do, I guess I do wonder the, the problems he has with feel, the problems he has with forcing it. I wonder how much he would benefit from continuity right where he hasn't had it his entire career yeah and and you know we could see that pay off in a similar way to how it's paid off with randall in the sense that you know he's he would then have that second year to really figure things out to really like you know be accustomed to his teammates know where they're going to be on the floor so that then reading the floor becomes easier because you know exactly where guys are going to be stuff like that also to your point if they can get him for like two for 16 like two years, $16 million. That's, that's fine by me. I think like I would, I wouldn't bad an eyelash at that because ultimately that's a very movable contract. Like if the Knicks decide halfway through next year, like, Oh, a great offer came along for Alec Burks. Like, cause he's averaging, I don't know, 17 points on like 40. Yeah. Like 45, 38, you know, 85 or whatever. Um, which at that point, the Knicks hopefully will be even better next year. And you would say, ah, just keep him. <laughs> but if they would decide to, if they just say, oh, we have a surplus in talent, you know, from like, we just added these three really good draft picks, you know, and we're like trying to get whoever more playing time. If they drafted a wing, you know, with like the Mavericks pick or something and, you know, say, okay, well, Burks is expendable. Let's, you know, restock the war chest a little bit. Then that's like a super tradable contract to be like, oh yeah, you get him for 8 million this year and next year. Uh, for a efficient, you know, 17 point per game score. I think a lot of teams would line up for that. So yeah, I, I would definitely be down for that sort of deal. I just wouldn't be down for like, I don't know, like something that would pay him like 10 plus million a year for like three plus years, something like that, it, that given his, his age and um, you know, where he fits with the Knicks on like their timeline, the, the future cap space implications and stuff like that. I wouldn't necessarily sign up for that, but if it's like a, a two-year deal that's still like under ten million a year. I, I think I'm down with that. And one guy we did not talk about. I know we're coming uh, coming close on time here, but Manuel quickly um, another tale of two games for him. Right, he really cooked in the Memphis game. Was a big part of that comeback. Tonight didn't um, didn't seem to have it going. Um, you know, it, it's been a little bit of a rougher stretch. But um, real quick, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on quickly? Yeah, I you know, I think that that game in Memphis, I was I was thinking, okay, it's time to start quickly again, you know, because he got to close the game. He was a huge part of the Knicks getting back into it because a lot of why the Knicks were doing poorly against Memphis was that, you know, Peyton was offering no spacing, offering no passing or anything, and they were also throwing these really aggressive doubles at Julius Randle, which was bamboozling him for a bit. And would sometimes end up in passes out to Elf on the perimeter 
which was just disaster because he just can't make shots from the perimeter. Um, and so then once quickly got in, it was like the whole game transformed because he started hitting from three and Randall was able to hit someone that can actually shoot from outside and had like a number of guys that he could pass to that could make shots and make the Grizzlies pay. And that was why they started making that comeback. Uh, and, you know, ultimately RJ was sort of the guy down the very stretch that, that put it together, but like quickly and Derek Rose too, to his credit were huge in making sure that the Knicks didn't, didn't fall behind um, by too much in that game and, and were able to stay within striking distance. And then, yeah, and in this one against the the Raptors, you know, I didn't think he played like bad per se. He just shot bad. You know, I didn't think he was taking bad shots. I thought that he just wasn't making the same shots that he was taking in the last game. I guess it was just kind of discouraging because he had one of those trademark super efficient quickly games and then followed it up in this game with one of the like more unfortunate quickly games where he gets a lot of the same looks. Like I didn't think there wasn't a single look that he really took in this game that made me say, ugh. Like, yeah, he had he had one where he kind of tried to force the foul call. That's true. I thought he got he, he got one of those per game. You know what I mean? Like that's just Quickly's mo. So and a lot of times it works. So it's. And hard I thought to it was him. actually a bad missed call this time, right? Yeah, uh, people people kind of went on him a little bit on Twitter. Um, I thought his defense when Malachi Finn was fine. It just seemed like Malachi was playing well. Um, you know, he had like a foul call, but he was doing a good job of staying in front of him. Um, it, it was, it was, a, I wish I could have seen more of that matchup because those are two of the guys that I wrote draft pieces on. But, um, but yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think that, and it's going to be kind of that way where he is kind of a guy who the bulk of his scoring is going to come from three point shooting, which is high variance. Um, so until he is that, and I think it's been encouraging to see him attack the rim more, but the results just aren't going to be good this year. That's it's just he doesn't have the time in the weight room. He hasn't really calibrated that part of his game the same way. Um, that's going to be a summer. Probably, I think even next season, it'll still be a work in progress. And then I mean, two years from now, you see a version of him that like kind of has those Tony Parker finishes. Not at the same maybe volume, but that's when you really see, I think, everything get unleashed for him. Um, but um, I mean, I think that I'm with you. I think that... I would take that and be like, you have two guys that can get to the rim and RJ and Randall. Um, but I mean, I, th- I think what Rose or another quick point guard like that, and that would give you that quickly probably doesn't is I think there's, I think RJ and Randall are good at tilting defenses, right? Because they kind of, they're methodical. They make you pay attention to them and shift your defense that can create openings, which Randall is very good at exploiting and RJ has gotten better at too. But that's not the same as scrambling a defense, right? Where someone has to run over full speed. That's what those fast, that's what a guy like Sharif Cooper can do. That's what Rose, when he's really cooking, can do. But Rose, you know, is contact averse because of his injuries. That's what um what quickly can't do because when he gets to the rim, it, it's, you know, he doesn't have the the package to finish yet. Um, but that I, I think you need some combination of that with at least a competent shooter, which um which the Knicks are trying to fit with an island of misfit toys, right? They, they have quickly who can provide the shooting and that quickness, but he cannot get all the way to the hole so good defenses can play him, right? They have Rose is the quickness and some catch-and-shoot ability, but um, it prefers the floater to the contact. And then they have Burks who, um, you know, can do all of those things to a, a pretty good level, but just doesn't have the the point guard, the, the instincts to really, doesn't have the decision-making, right? So... 
Uh, it's interesting to see how Tibbs kind of pushes and pulls them. And I think he realizes end of the game that all three of those are, one of those is going to be a better option than, than Alfred for the most part, um, given the starting lineup construction. But um, it's interesting to see him manage that. And I think that's whether one of those guys can develop it or we have to go to the draft or, or you know, maybe we saw RJ recruiting Kyle Lowry at the end. So maybe that's the kind of answer, but um, that is definitely one of the, the, the key plot points for this team. I agree. And uh, I think that's as good a note as any to wrap up today's episode on. So Stacey, did you want to let everybody know where to find you on social media, where to find your work, all that good stuff uh, before we get going here? Yeah. Uh, I'm at Stacy Patton 89 on Twitter. Um, writing at the Strickland. Um, we will be ramping up probably soon a lot of our draft coverage. So as Alex mentioned, we have um, two first-round picks and one pseudo first-round pick, uh, as well as like the, the six or second-round pick. So who knows, right? Uh, you, we could have a, a Mr. Irrelevant type situation. Most likely we're just going to get cash for that. But um, there'll be a lot of good draft coverage, and um, you know we have a lot of good uh, stuff coming out there. So definitely be on the lookout for that, as well as just generally uh, content coming out on, on the Knicks. And of course, you've been on Pod Strickland a lot recently too. So be sure to check that out. Yeah, I, I am. I am. Uh, yeah, co- I'll be co-hosting the uh, the Pod Stricklands from on the Friday morning shows for the uh, for the near future. So uh, definitely check those out. Uh, me and Shwini Poo. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, Stacey, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We'll be back a pretty busy week of Knicks coverage. I believe it's a back-to-back tonight. So we will be uh, covering that game for you guys tomorrow morning. And plenty more to come this week. Maybe some guests. Although there's so many games. You're just probably going to hear a lot of game recaps, as usual. But we'll try to get some cool stuff in for you guys. Uh, But until next time, this has been Locked On Knicks. Peace out. Talk to you all soon.